0: You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noce and Harry Posner. Episode 8 Chicha Changes Facing the Strange
1: Changes. Changes. And face
0: the so, Harry, is the world changing faster than our ability to change with it? What do you think?
1: Unequivocally, yes, it is. When you think about human evolution, we're slow changers. It takes Hundreds, sometimes thousands of years for human societies to change and grow and move into different areas of technology or politics or what have you. And the changes that have been happening in the world, even since the Second World War, have been accelerating more and more and more to the point where I don't think human beings can actually process those changes, let alone change themselves in the face of it.
0: I'll tell you something else, though, that a lot of people think that today things are moving very, very quickly and that it's a phenomenon of modern times. But really, I read something a week or two back regarding Edison's invention of electricity. Interestingly enough, he invented it around 1870. Hmm. But as late as the year 1900, only 5% of industry had been switched over to electricity and was still working on steam. Right, the adaptation period was 30 years in, and still it was a minority of industry that had made the conversion. Yeah. yeah. I guess this is one of the things that you're kind of alluding to in terms of the time span in order to adapt. Well, yes and no. In the world of technology,
1: change can happen very quickly, and people are kind of forced to adapt quickly to those changes because it pervades society so quickly. I'm talking about the deep human changes that are required to face into a world that is becoming stranger as we speak. And I think it's, it takes a long time for human beings to adapt to radically new circumstances. And we're living in a radically new world compared to the world that you and I grew up in, in our childhood.
0: I would agree with that. What areas do you see as exponentially changing Okay, so I'll take the Internet, for example. It's the big one these days, I'd say.
1: Among all the revolutions that have happened, from the Industrial Revolution to the Computer Revolution to the Internet age, this is one that is really leaving a lot of people behind, especially people of our generation who didn't grow up with computers and computer technology. And so, basically, the advent of the Internet age has automatically pushed a certain percentage of the population to the fringes when it comes to communication now because of the difficulty of adapting to change that is so radical. We're creatures of habit.
0: You're referring primarily, though, to people, let's say, 50, 60-plus?
1: Yeah, I would say. And there are lots of people who are just technophobes. They just can't get into it. It's Something about it rubs them the wrong way, and they cannot wrap their heads around the computer and how it works and how to work with it efficiently. And so they kind of back away from it. There's a percentage of people who are just not connected because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Right? And I know you work daily with people who are trying to catch up, trying to make yes. that leap.
0: I consider myself a bit of a, an anomaly that way. There aren't too many in my age range yeah. that uh, take to it the way I have. But I've also had kind of an early start because my interest began almost at the inception, by the late 80s, early 90s, not the technology so much. Again, I've said this before, I looked at it as to what it could do. And I was really looking at it as an extension of what I was already doing, only being able to do it easier and being able to do it faster. Mm-hmm. That's That was the extent of my beginnings.
1: Right. But you saw that in a very rational sort of way. And you were able to see that it wasn't a kind of threat. A lot of people see it as a kind of threat. I understand that. And that's what keeps them back from it, and and keeps them coming to you.
0: It also keeps them. them back from learning, because when you have a resistance to something, it's very, very difficult to learn it.
1: Right. Here's another example that's an interesting example, because it has to do with nuclear armaments. When the great nuclear scare happened in the 60s, the Bay of Pigs, all that stuff, in our childhood, in our schools, we were told this is a great danger. It's an immediate danger. We're going to be building bunkers that we're going to take shelter in, in the event of. Mm -hmm. So fast forward that to the point where the United States is still armed to the teeth. The Soviet Union, North Korea, Israel, India, X number of other countries have nuclear weapons. Yes. But do we have the same level of urgency, of awareness, of worry? No. No. And yet the world is in as much danger as ever been. Our change is that we have lost connection with that urgency
0: like complacency has become the norm
1: yeah we can't imagine it happening so we don't imagine it happening the quickest way not to change
0: the most <laughs> obvious form of denial there is right
1: so we live in denial and we live in a state of habitual living which does not induce change because habits are not change agents mhm uh, so what are change agents Traumatic events, tornadoes that rip through your community, deaths in the family, things like that that force
0: completely jar us you
1: to, yeah, reconsider all of our values and what we hold dear and what we think about on a daily basis, our own lives. We don't shake up until we get shook up. That's right. Even though the world is shaking up daily. All around the world, this stuff is happening, right? Yes. Communities, upheavals, wars in the Congo, all these things are happening. Why aren't we changing in response to all this stuff? It seems that we're not so much. We're just getting more intransigent in our political views about the environment or what have you. And
0: in a way, wouldn't you say, Harry, that we're giving up more and more of our power that way? Because the powers that be will just jump all over that in terms of... We don't argue. We don't question. If we don't question or argue, then they can pretty much do as they please, making minor adjustments along the way in order to appease us. Right. So they become the controllers of change
1: in a way. They impose the, the environment that forces us to make changes in the face of. Whereas really, traditionally, the elders, the artists in the community, they would be the change agents. They would provide the vision and the imaginations for where the community could go, how uh, people could see the world, see the universe, and reimagine themselves, whether it be a sacred animal <laughs> or reimagine themselves as a child of the universe. Think about the 60s, you know, hippiedom, all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Reimagining ourselves is what a change agent does. And artists really have to step up now, especially, and hammer away at that so that we become more fluid as beings. Otherwise, we're just going to stay in our habits and watch the world with indifference, watch the news with indifference, and go back to our daily routines.
0: Well, what you're really talking about, Harry, is a level of desensitization, which you, I guess, attribute to primarily these rapid changes, the use of mass media in a way that's never been used before, where basically everything is in the hands of every individual sending out and receiving information. Not too much seems to be filtered.
1: Well, not only that, but the way the media presents the information levels it, let's say, in the sense that no one piece of news Becomes more important than another piece of news. It's simply another spot
0: on the newscast. The tragic death of 50 people and some popular star's hairdo take the same. It all presence. becomes
1: the same. Yeah. So that level of indifference and neutrality pervades and we become numb, essentially. So, how can you change if you're numb? You have to be sensitive and open.
0: Where I differ somewhat is not so much in what you're saying in as much as what I would do with it. So my position has always been that's happening. It will continue to happen. It's always happened, and it will happen in the future in a different form. So I always go back to the empowerment of the individual to get out of this never-ending loop. Now, again, I'm being idealistic, I know, but I, I believe that. Okay, so give me one example of something that you would see happening
1: that could accomplish that for an individual to empower them? Or what would you see happening? How could it
0: happen? You're asking for a specific example.
1: Yeah, give me an example in the world of how technology can be used to inspire hope, encourage change, and empowerment for individuals. Well, technology
0: as an example, and I use this podcast as one form, discussions we're discussing this and we're learning from each other as we discuss or we're learning to look at another person's opinion or thought and reflect on it. I think that's a lot of what's lacking.
1: I think you're right to a degree, you know. I mean, we've gotten more and more coverage of the plight of Indigenous peoples in our country, Canada, here, over the last 10, 15 years and especially this year with the uh, sesquicentennial celebrations happening. People Mm -hmm. have been very good to make sure that the indigenous peoples are included in that conversation and in that celebration and acknowledged Mm -hmm. as the forerunners of this so-called nation called Canada.
0: You would not have had as many people aware or in tune with that particular issue had it not been for tweets and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So really, it's not so much the technology as to how you use it and how it affects you and your way of thinking. Do you resist it or do you learn a little bit about it and begin to employ it in a different way and perhaps help people decipher information or help people think differently in terms of don't accept everything at face value? Do your own investigative work. Rely more on your intuition, not just on what everyone says. Don't move along with the popular perception of things.
1: Right, and when you think about the internet and Facebook, social media platforms, where all kinds of information and misinformation is presented, it forces the individual to go back on their own resources and think carefully about these issues, to do their own research etc. If they want to. If they want to. Now, in the old days, before technology was so pervasive, we would have these discussions in our individual communities. And people would change by virtue of these discussions and gatherings, etc. But now we have mass communication that pushes these issues to the front. So that's why that example of the indigenous people is so important, because everything seems to be mass communicated. Yes. The important issues have to be brought forward and uh, talked about. And the peripheral issues and the garbage and all that stuff has to be kind of somehow filtered out.
0: Okay, both that garbage aspect. That can also be a relative term. But I, I mean, mean one man's
1: garbage is another man's gold. Is that right, what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: <laughs> there's really no way to always completely understand that aspect because we all have different views and priorities as to what is important.
1: Syrian refugees and Taylor Swift's butt. I think it's pretty clear where the garbage is and where the important stuff lives. So
0: carry on. Absolutely. No, 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 I'm glad that you said that because uh, I agree with that. But there is always that question. So my approach would be broader only not to affect people's sensibilities because if you go from that perspective, people immediately get alienated and then they don't listen to anything further because you've stated it in that way. That's the only reason why I said that. Right. But for example, even communication, every individual in modern society, at least in an affluent society like our own, has a computer or smartphone at their disposal. So even when you get together in a community forum, really what you have to do is you have to stop people from using their smartphones while we're having discussions.
1: Yeah, people are tapping into the mass communication while they're in the micro communication. Exactly. Same time.
0: So that's where you have to direct attention. And that attention... Isn't necessarily going to come from the youth because the youth come into this world developing with what we as adults or parents have taught them. We, the very people who are most overwhelmed by what's going on, have been in part responsible for what's been going on. Mm -hmm. If parents or adults take more time in not just accepting things and realizing that they themselves are engulfed in it and are exhausted. And don't have the energy to properly instruct or teach their children. And I'm not being judgmental here. I'm putting forward a broad kind of scenario. Yeah. So if you as a parent are too tired or too stressed to tell your child or to have the ability to restrict the use or limit the use of something, it's going to happen. That 2-year-old, 5-year-old, 10-year-old, they're going to, first of all, emulate what you do. And they're also going to get caught up in the entire stream of things. But a lot of what happens in individual families can thwart some of what's happening. That's my belief. And the reason I say that is, think of your own childhood and think of what we were exposed to. Okay, we we didn't have the technology, but God knows when we left our homes, we were exposed to all kinds of things. And growing up here in Canada, you and I are both immigrants, at least I'm an immigrant, and you came as a child of immigrants. We had a lot of stuff to sort through, too. Different pace, I give you that. But a lot of what you had fundamentally got you through some of that stuff. Because despite all the goings-on out there, you still relied heavily on your roots in terms of your sense of decency, your sense of respect, your sense of whatever. So I'm really saying that we have more control than we think we have. And I know a lot of people will argue with me on that point. And I totally get it. But that's the opinion I have. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, it's a good opinion.
0: (laughs) It's your opinion. (laughs) I think uh, if I had to give
1: it a percentage, I would say it's 80-20. 80% 80 of us really are not in a position to make radical changes because we're so entrenched in our habits.
0: I'm not suggesting radical changes. I'm suggesting very small, incremental changes.
1: Okay. I would argue that small, incremental change is not really a change. It's an adjustment. We kind of adjust to the environment in some respects. But there are times on the planet, in our societies, where we have to think radically. We have to move in a radical new direction. And I'm not saying that Trump is the way to go, because he's Mm -hmm. radical. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a shitty direction to go in, frankly. But he took advantage of a moment in time when radical change was looked upon as something that was really maybe necessary by a certain part of that population.
0: Yeah, but even radical, Harry, excuse me for cutting in there, but even radical, you know, to me, there's informed radical and there's sheep radical. Radical, why? Because you're just following a group of people or you're actually making an informed radical decision? Right,
1: exactly, exactly. Thinking about the world of arts, of the arts, and I'm connected to that world in many ways. Even in the arts, you need to have game changers. You need to have change agents. Yes. So... The Georgia O'Keeffe's out there who were unafraid to paint massive portraits of flowers that were obviously symbolic of women's vaginas, for example. Or the E.E. Cummings in the poetry world who took the language apart and played with grammar and said, we don't have to be chained to the history of how we use language. We can play with it, break it apart. Musical experimenters out there, the John Cage's, Uh, The Schoenbergs in the classical world dared to break with history and pattern and form and to launch into new directions. So even in the world of arts, there needs to be change agents pushing hard at the edges.
0: Is there the impetus to do that today that there was 30, 40, 50 years ago?
1: Yeah, I think it might be in a way easier today because we can be more fluid. There are so many more platforms where we can express ourselves no matter who we are inwardly. So if we're a very experimental type of artist, there are platforms that will encourage us to do Ah, that.
0: And the platforms you're talking about have been largely introduced by technology.
1: Absolutely. If I'm a form poet or an ekphrastic poet, there are websites that I can go to where there are other people out there doing what I'm doing and experimenting in that way and encouraging me to carry on. So that's a very good thing. But we need those people, is what I'm saying, regardless of the technology. Gertrude Stein didn't have that technology. Cummings didn't have that technology. They just did what they did. And Mm -hmm. it got out there through the old communication networks, Mm -hmm. books, whatever, you know, records. So, regardless of the technology, we have to be who we really are and express that creatively in order to be change agents in the world. I
0: agree. But ultimately, no matter what you do, if you're not seen or heard, it doesn't really do much.
1: No, you could be seen or heard by your neighbor. And that's plenty. If they change because of who you are, that's massive.
0: You begin with your neighbor. You begin with people close to you, your family sure. members. That's where I come from. Stop being overwhelmed. I, mean, I can't tell you to stop being overwhelmed. You're going to be overwhelmed regardless of what I say, if that's the way you <laughs> feel. But what I'm right. saying is, what can I do or what can we do to make people feel less overwhelmed, less stressed, so that they can hear more and then empower them to change on an individual level, which will automatically, to some degree anyway, change the bigger picture. But here's the thing, Peter. Peter. For an
1: individual to change, fundamentally change, even in increments, they have to know who they are deep down. Mm -hmm. You have to know who you are in order to change who you are. And most of us don't give ourselves the time to reflect deeply on who we are as human beings. I agree. So we actually have to find a way of empowering ourselves by understanding who we are as human beings in the world. And that means... Figuring out how to become present in the world fully. Yes. And that means not being distracted 24-7. I agree. Allowing yourself moments of contemplation and time. And so how do you go about doing that? Well, I mean, there are ready-made options out there, as in you could do a yoga class. Mm-hmm. You could go to meditation. You could simply walk into the forest and be with nature and witness the natural changes that nature goes through in its cycles of the season. There are different ways to get to that place. For some people, it's just taking long walks every day, observing people without judging, many ways to get to that reflective place. But to do that, we have to push away all the influences that say, look at me, listen to me, go over there, get on the net. So how do we limit the noise? How do we say no to the busyness of the communicative world through the net, through technology? How do you say no to that? What would be a moment in your life when you felt you experienced a profound change in yourself? Can you describe that moment?
0: Sure, I can very clearly, actually. The birth of my son, our son, a life-altering moment. Probably the single greatest change. It made my flaws surface, It made me question things. The death of my parents, more so when my second parent left, because while I still had one, there were still loose ends. But with my father's passing, 12 years after my mother's passing, that kind of made another significant change occur. Mm -hmm. Kind of bittersweet, sad, but also very liberating. I can appreciate all three, son, mother, and father, in a totally different light. And it's actually a lot of the reasons behind this podcast, of all things, hmm. and some of the work that I do, helping people with technology. It's a way of empowering people, and myself, of course, of empowering people and, and not to be afraid. Fear is a huge barrier to so many things. Oh, yeah. I think that that's a lot of what we're even talking about today. Uh, this ability to make a change sometimes requires. Are you really staring your fears straight in the eye?
1: Yeah, overcoming fear and overcoming greed are the two biggies for making change. My personal experience that I would kind of connect mm-hmm.
0: to yours... Good, because I was going to ask you.
1: Yeah, is, is that uh, many years ago, I took uh, a woman in off the street who was a total stranger, mm. who came up to me and said that she was in danger. Her husband was beating her, and I need shelter, and so I gave her shelter. Really? It turned out that she was a severe alcoholic. And I don't know whether she was telling me a story. It was all very confusing. She stayed with me for about six weeks. Her husband trying to get in touch with her, she calling him, all this back and forth thing, and me kind of in the middle, feeling for her and witnessing her alcoholism and trying to help her in some ways deal with it. In the end, mostly unsuccessfully, but with moments of aha and success and finding myself drawing upon a sense of love for another human being, Mm -hmm. a total stranger, drawing up this love for her and never realizing that I had that in me to do that. And I had to overcome my fear of of strangers, of taking people in, of, of alcoholism and what it means. So that was a profoundly changeful moment in my life
0: the SIL podcast perspectives on art and technology is a connecting dots media production available at connectingdotsmedia.com